Our scripture this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 21 to 30. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was, as he was saying these things, many believed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. How, how many of you are familiar with this term, uh, transhumanism? Have you guys heard of this? All right, some of you have heard of it. Transhumanism. Uh, uh, the reason I need to define it is when I say the word trans in Phil- in, here in uh, Philadelphia, in San Francisco, uh, that, might, that might be a little confusing. Uh, trans, it doesn't have to refer to uh, transgendering. Trans is the word for uh, transformation, for things being uh, changed. Transhumanism, what's that? Well, it happens to be the belief system of most of the leaders in this particular uh, part of the world. Transhumanism. And the idea is that, that David and I, or, or Eric and I, or, or uh, Ted and I, are capable, if we, if we manipulate our genes, if we have good data and we manipulate that data in an ever-increasing, an ever-increasing accuracy, uh, maybe create artificial intelligence. But if we, if we do these things, we can advance, as it were, the evolutionary progress or trajectory of what it means to be human. And the idea is that there is coming, and we are en route, we are on our way, as it were, through, through our society, through our adventure in technology, through our manipulation of genetics, and uh, our understanding of human psychology, we can now take Miguel and make a better Miguel. Amen! <laughs> A better Nick. And who doesn't want a better Simon? You know, come on. Or a better Deepak. Transhumanism. I was uh, asking uh, Tao, when I was, my wife, when I was driving here this morning, if she knew, if she had heard of it. And she said, uh, no. And I described to her this evolutionary optimism that transhumanism espouses as an idea. And, uh, and she said, oh, finally, something kind of encouraging. <laughs> I found that quite discouraging when she said that, <laughs> because honestly, transhumanism is, I think, uh, demonic. Transhumanism is a world without Jesus. Transhumanism is a, another part of how this generation, and how, when I say this generation, I'm not talking about young folks, I'm talking about everybody who's alive now. All of us together, because we all share a lot of common beliefs and ideas and attitudes and experiences. So we are a generation, old and young. But this generation, as it were, uh, falls in love with these ideas but, uh, and, and gets excited about them. But I think they're all empty 
empty, powerless idols. All right, so what, am I, I, what I want to do, there's no optimism here. There's no reason to be happy about transhumanism. But there's a particular error that's in that idea that I think Adele shares and I share. It's something we all kind of fall for in this time, in this generation. The reason I keep using that word is I'm, I, I have an idea here. And that is, if something is new, it is better. It is, if it's a new idea, it's a better idea. And in fact, because we're on this evolutionary trajectory, it only makes sense. It stands to reason that everything before is past and therefore irrelevant. It's not important what was said or thought or imagined about human nature 2,000 years ago because we're transhuman, baby. We're past that. You see, we're on a progress that, that discards the old. We can only have new ideas, and that's why it's so exciting to talk about the possibility of manipulating our, genetics, our genes, the possibility of manipulating data with so much finesse and so much power it creates a person, artificial intelligence. Or we, all of this stuff going on in, our, in this outrageous optimism of this age, and what it does is it undercuts... I'm trying to explain why, how it, it undercuts... The gospel, or not, I don't know if we're, are we on? Oh, is it war? Uh, but this tyranny of the new, what it does is it takes what we want to look at, what Jesus uh, was, was, was teaching today. And of course, the worst thing about technology is when you depend on it, it stabs you in the back. All right, let's, uh, let's continue. Let's just look at the text together. Oh, are we, are we here? Oh, good, good. Oh, good, good. Oh, we'll have to go backwards now. Thank you, Arnav. Is that the first? That's the first one, okay. So, uh, so uh, the reason I'm kind of excited about this, I'm not, I'm not, we're not going to engage this story. I'm not, I don't want to engage the story at all today. I know there's a big narrative going on in John here where everybody's after Jesus. They're all trying to kill him. They're trying to kill him, discredit him, mock him, abuse him, whatever. That story's not important. I don't even want you to pay attention to that. You can, maybe, maybe you can connect with a little bit, but I want you to connect with one thing. They, this verse 27, they did not understand. They didn't understand that he had been speaking. They just don't understand. Now, the reason I want to start here is I'm going to stop right now and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to be present. Because I'm engaged in something here of presenting to you the nature and glory of Christ and the nature, the nature and destruction of sin and the answer of Jesus on the cross. But I realize something. Many of you as believers and Christians, this theology is dead to you. It doesn't spring, sing new life. I think we need the Holy Spirit for that very reason. Some of you would say, oh, I understand these ideas. And just in saying I understand, you uh, toss up a big red flag for me. <laughs> I understand is usually precluded by arrogance, right? Or, or an inability to teach or an inability to really, uh, really learn, I'm sorry, what, uh, what the truth is. So I'm going st to stop. And I just want that, that, just that, 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 that phrase, that, that sentence, they did not understand, haunts me. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you knew they didn't understand. They clamored at you. They yelled at you. Our hearts have yelled at you. Father, uh, if, we, if you don't impart knowledge, if you don't speak to us, if it's just this man speaking, then we're all doomed. Holy Spirit, come and speak words of new life to us and help us see Jesus for the first time in his glory.
Jesus' name, amen. So the reason I'm so interested in this text is the way it begins to portray Jesus. Now, I've tried to explain this to you before. For John, Jesus is the creator of the universe, period. If you don't understand that, this text doesn't make any sense. I'll give you an example. When Jesus says to them, just what I've, I've been telling you from the beginning, he uses this in RK from, the book, from John 1.1. When, when Jesus is talking here, it is very hard to understand whether he's talking about their understanding right there or all of human history. You see? Because he has been speaking from the beginning. Why? Because he is the word. And one of my one point here is what bur- it's buried in the text. You see, it's buried. You don't see it just, just like they didn't. Uh, Peter, could you stand up? Peter's going to pass for Jesus today. <laughs> I remember the first time I pastored a black church and... They were all convinced Jesus was black. So, <laughs> so that's, that's, this is going to work for us right now. But this is the way people uh, say, I am, and just say it over and over again. I am. I am. I am. Yeah, sure you are. Yeah, sure you are. You have some nice things to say. You're a good guy. Have a seat. Do you, do you get that? It is impossible for them to see his claims. They can't see them. It is completely unavailable to them. They are not able to look Jesus in the face and understand what? That he is a sent one. His name is true. That God is with him. That God the Father is present with him constantly. That he does nothing on his own authority. That he is under authority. That the nature of his eternity is buried in the text. And the way he speaks with majesty is so amazing that you and I are reduced to almost a sense of, we, we read so poorly. We read the text poorly just like they did because we find it hard to imagine that somebody who created the cosmos is sitting there talking to people. That simple. What attracted me, and today is not, the reason I said I'm not looking at the the context and and the narrative, I am interested in the theology of this text. Why am I interested? Because of the way Christ is telling them he's eternal. I am is that eternal present. I am, he's, it peppers the text, I am. I, I wish I could impart to you a new vision for the text. Perhaps I can. Many of you, uh, most of you, 99% of you, did not hear the call to worship. So go back to the front page. Maybe this will be an encouragement for you to be more timely. And the reason I'm saying this is not for guilt. It's because I put this text here for a reason. All right. Everywhere it says, I am, we're going to say Jesus. Jesus descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed his name, Jesus. And Jesus passed before him and proclaimed, now you guys read it, take out the the. Jesus, Jesus, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty. You see, Christ, every time he borrows, every time John puts it in his mouth in just these Greek constructions where he says, I am, I am, John is pushing you, he's directing you to go back to Exodus and understand that it is Jesus speaking on the mountain. And Jesus is the great I am. (laughs) Jesus is the king of kings. (laughs) 
You see how his majesty's buried in here? And, and we stumble on it because we are so slow to believe. Our unbelief hampers us. We refuse to acknowledge that anybody that great walked among us. Why is he just a schlep like us? You ever remember that? What if God was one of us? Just a, a slob. Yeah, just a slob like one of us. And that's how we think of him. In, in this generation, we're not, we're not docetists. We don't, we don't think that God became man as an illusion. We think that Jesus is just a man. We're more like the Aryans. But that's not, I'm not interested in any of that. You know what I'm really interested in? And this is where I, life is in this text for me. Verse 29. And it all leads up to verse 29 for me. And the reason I was so excited about verse 29 was because when I first read it, I did not know how to speak about this text because his majesty was buried and hidden from me. That's why we prayed about this, why we prayed for the Holy Spirit. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Do, now, do you reckon what it means for the eternal son to say, I always do something? Do you reckon what that means? I always do. What does that mean? What is the claim here? Don't miss it. You may be an unbeliever and you may have no conviction that, God is, that Christ is God. That is because you are staying in unbelief. Uh, God will deal with that. I'm not worried about that right now. What, but, but what happens is, is if, if this is buried from you, even as a believer, you're, you're not going to be able to understand this beautiful text. I always do the things. Oh. Look, you know, we don't understand Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't understand the economy. We don't understand how the Father talks to the Son. We don't understand how the Son speaks to the Spirit because we are mortal. We are fragile. We are finite. We do not have the capacity to understand or even imagine eternal discussions. But here they are in front of us. He's <laughs> right here. He's, he's, having, he's telling you about his glory. And what does he do? What does he always do? Because remember, we know Jesus Christ is what? Same yesterday, today, and forever. So this is a theological statement, not a, a personal disposition of his particular character and how much he likes God. No, this is, an, this is an eternal statement. When the son says, I always do something. I always do things that are pleasing to him. And that blows me away, all right? Because this goes down to everything I've just said about Jesus being the great I am and his eternity. You know what's amazing? Really? Blows all that apart? God can be pleased. Just pull that. If you can please God, that means God's not a force. He's not gravity. You can't please gravity. Can't please time. Can't you can't please the weak or strong electromagnetic forces that govern our lives every day. What can you please? You can only please a person. And right in it, this is what gets me, guys. Right in this wonderful text, is the explosion of all the nature of God that we are so unaware of. Because who is he? He is the God who works in you to both the will and to do for his good pleasure. Paul will write that a few years after the, uh, this discussion. But what was written 2,000 years before? <sighs> Jesus, God, loves good smells. Yeah. That's actually from the sacrificial system. How many of you like the smell of steak? Anybody here not like the smell of steak? Oh, there's probably some vegans or something. But you can still repent. <laughs> but seriously, but seriously, it, 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 
just this, I get it. Sometimes we talk about this being a form of anthropomorphism. In other words, God is being described as having human qualities so that we can understand him and we can approach him and we can connect with him. Sure. Sure he is. He is lisping. He is baby talk so you can understand him. But if that, it's still true that he was pleased. Because <laughs> the son says, I please him. And that means the father knows what pleasure is. And that means you can know him as a person. Once you know what pleases somebody, it's, you have power over them. You do. You have power over God. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But you actually do. You know, in a beautiful way. But once we know what's pleasing, we can apply the pleasure principle. That people tend to want pleasure and avoid pain, right? And, well, our Father is actually does want all pleasure and is not afraid of pain. We'll, we'll see. So why am I so excited about this? Because your Jesus is too small. Look, the reason that you guys don't get jumped up and yell hallelujah, what a savior, is because Jesus is just about your size with a little divinity on him. Do you get that? Jesus is just like you, just a little bit better. He's a transhuman in the next step. No, he's not. He is God of gods. Fall before him in worship. How dare you stand before this God and not worship? How do you do this, guys? How do you get, I do it. How do we do it? We get up and we don't, first thing, fall to our face. Because an eternal God talks about eternal things from the beginning. He wears his majesty like an old coat. <laughs> he does. He wears it like his favorite coat. It just fits right on. He wears eternity like an old coat to keep him warm. And it can keep you warm too. Because it's the truth of his love and his intimacy, his desire for intimacy with us. And the idea that, get, get this guys, it's going to come. I don't understand it. But someday he may look on Eric and me, in fact, I know he will, I know he does, and say, you know what? I am pleased. All right, no, wait for it. We're going to get there. All right. All right. I include these texts because we're going to come back to Leviticus 1.9 because it's going to make sense of where, of where Jesus goes next. So I wanted to impress upon you uh, academically and thoroughly the eternity of Christ the eternity of Christ and his work to please eternally his father, who's now a person for us to know. But there's a problem. What's the problem? Three times, Christ says it. Three times he uses the same phrase, once in the singular, twice in the plural. You will die in your sins. <sighs> All right. The second great truth next to the, that beautiful, the pleasures of Jesus and the pleasures of God, right next to the pleasures of God is this truth. What? The sinfulness of sin. The utter ruin. Oh, I, you see, and I, I, did you see it? Did you catch his majesty? Anybody? Do you think that Jesus is reporting to you that there's a judgment on sin someday? Pay attention. Listen, listen hard. What? When the eternal creator and judge says you will die in your sins, it's more than a report. He is not telling you someday I will judge. What's he telling me? He's telling them right now. I am judging you now. Don't you understand that the reason they will die in their sins is because the son has said so. We do not reckon his majesty. You get it? We don't see it. It's invisible to us because we reduced him. And by reducing him, we've reduced sin. When we reduce Jesus, we make a painted savior and we're only painted sinners. 
And we hear, we don't hear the earnestness and the repetition as if he knows, as if he's afraid, as if he suspects, as if he knows, wait a second, I know what judgment is. I know where it goes. Let me be eager. To t- you know who talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? Jesus. You've heard that before, that statistic. But that, what's remarkable about that is that he tells you because he knows what it is more than anybody else. Nobody else, you see, we don't know what judgment is. We don't know what judgment is. He does. He's very earnest about it for that very reason. He is afraid for you. And he is here. You will die in your sins. Do you hear already the judgment that comes out of it? Death. Why is this death? You are locked in. There's no way. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this cosmos. You are a part of a system of destruction, entropy, and death. You have no hope. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. Okay. But this is not something I should be speaking about in San Francisco or to this generation. Because to this generation, that's old school. That's old. Right? That's old. We're about a new sexual revolution, new sexual identities. These texts don't account for the new morality we have uncovered as we've uncovered genetics, as we have realized transhumanism potential in all sorts of transitive ways. A little play on words, I guess. What's my point there? We We can't hear the old remedy of the greatness of Jesus and the cross because we can't hear the old diagnosis. We can't hear the ancient diagnosis, which has always been dead on. And there is no modernity and there is no discovery of genetics or science or technology that will ever obviate or reduce or remove this problem. You are a sinner (laughs) and you will die in your your sins. I remember a couple years ago, um, somebody accusing me of something and it really, it rocked me. I am repenting of it, even as I'm talking to you. I repent, I mean, I'm changing my mind so that my mind isn't held to error. What's the error I'm talking about? This is what he said to me. Chris, you know what you have? You just have a gospel of sin management. You ever heard that? You have a gospel of sin management. Well, it's interesting because it's actually actually a a very cutting critique because it's saying... Oh, you guys are so, I know you want to talk about sin. It's so cute. But all you're trying to do is manage your guilt. Come on, you all feel bad, don't you? You're just trying to manage how you feel so you can feel better. You are a sucker for the great opiate of the masses, religion. And you're all smoking on the pipe because you can't, you can't get it. You, you're, 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 you're just, you're deluded. Now that's such a view is wrong because it does not account for the sinfulness of sin. How are we going to get the sinfulness of sin? Look, I can't get there. That's why we prayed that you'd help to stand by the Holy Spirit. But perhaps this will help. This is Psalm 51, verses 1 through 2. There are four words for sin in the Old Testament, and they are commonly, they are commonly translated in the ESV as transgressions, iniquity, and sin. And I hate those words. I, they're terrible. They're terrible. Seriously. Seriously. Uh, does anybody feel bad about their transgressions? Oh, yeah. Oh, I transgressed. Oh, I, I littered. That's what it sounds like. It sounds so innocent. It doesn't sound terrible. Iniquity. I don't even know what iniquity is. Uh, but as a word, I just know it's supposed to be bad stuff. But it's, it's an antique word. It doesn't, it's fuzzy for us. It doesn't have any bite. It doesn't have any meaning for us to hit us. And then sin itself, 
The word sin is very unfortunate. If I say that, if I tell you that the, uh, the dessert I had last night was sinfully delicious, you all know that it was really good. <laughs> so, therefore, I'm not quite sure what conviction comes because of sin. Ah, but the Hebrew, the Hebrew. You see, David's a cunning poet. And by, and by using the Hebrew roots, we get back to meaning that makes sense. For this word for transgressions is really the word for rebellion. And if you don't understand why that sin is a part of our lives in this generation, then you're not paying attention. Because <laughs> I am no sooner telling you the truth than many of you are rebelling against it right now in your hearts. Amen? Come on, what's who we are? Somebody tells us the truth, and what do we say? Well, I'm not sure about that. Prove it. <laughs> well, I don't like that. That's how we do it. What's the second way the Hebrew opens up what sin is? Distortion. Oh, I love this one. This is... Um, in C.S. Lewis's book, the first one, the first space trilogy, what was it called? No, it's not Paraland. Out of Silent Planet. Uh, Ransom goes to a planet where, they, where the aliens still know God. But sometimes an alien is born that doesn't. And you know what they call him? They say he's bent. That's what that Hebrew word means. Bent. Can you think of a better description of your heart, Deepak? Because I can't. Not my own. We are distorted inside. Something doesn't work. You know, I remember somebody saying, getting frustrated by a Christian idea of brokenness. Here's the problem with using the word brokenness, and I don't like it. It's because there's nothing sexy about it. I'm not broken some cool way that's kind of hip. When I say I'm broken, I'm saying I'm like the old car in the back with the wheels off and the engine doesn't work. I'm broke. I don't move. Well, something's the matter, desperately. It's not romantic, it's not fun, it's not pretty. It's ruin. Can I get an amen? This is where the amen should be coming. And then finally, sin failure. And this Hebrew word is just like the Greek word, and it means to not fail to reach the mark. And if I wanted to condemn each one of you, I could say you've been rebels. Oh yeah, I know you've all been rebels at some level. And I could go forward further to say you have experienced some of the distortion of your own soul and the way you can't even want good things. That's a lot of distortion, right? This third one, though, we're all feeling pinch. Because just think of all the things you just didn't do. All the times you should have said, I love you, and you didn't. Every time you should have given. Every time you should have showed up. Every time you should have given generously. Every time you missed a chance. Every time you just were too lazy or you wanted to see a movie. Or you wanted to get drunk or get high. Who knows? But what is all that but the things we haven't done? There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. All right, so I'm chasing something here. I am chasing conviction in your soul. The problem is, can't really create it. It's got to come from Jesus. Holy Spirit's got to come in. You got to hear this king as he says this judgment against some of you right now. You will die in your sins. Oh, that makes me sad. I don't want that to happen to any of you. But all right. Let's get that up. You cannot go there. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Where is he going? Now, we have a crisis here if you're paying attention. If I have displayed to you in any way that's winsome or, or clear and apparent to your conscience and your mind and your intellect that the sinfulness of sin, maybe I've done that with some effectiveness, and you've begun to think, yeah, I'm pretty screwed up. I've made a lot of mistakes. Right next to that, I want to pair with that this Jesus just seeking the pleasure of his father. I mean, just 
This Jesus animated by the pleasures of God. All right, so what is animating the universe? What's animating what happens around us? What is the fount of all truth? Our Father is a living God of pleasure. That's how the Son knows him. That's how you know him. It's the only way we can know him. Wow, this gets good. Who's going to solve the problem of a God who wants pleasure and seeks it in his Son? And what are you going to do with a sinful people whose rebellion and distortion and failure to even do good things judges them at every point. Well, we want, I want to get you to the point where you will join the song. Did you hear the song earlier? Hallelujah. What a Savior. If you can sing that without smiling, I don't know what's the matter with you. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Because other men and other women by the Spirit see this problem against the glory of the pleasures of an eternal God, and they know we're in big trouble. We know we're in big trouble. So what's the answer? Well, some of you know. Some of you suspect you know. And of course you know some of this. It's that when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know I am. Contained within within the conundrum, of a son seeking to please the Father eternally, and a people whose condemnation is so just, it's rather actually rather absurd. So you have this absolute majestic holiness and, and darkness. What's going to happen? Well, the pleasures of God. The pleasures of God were the Son to take on sin. Oh. Oh, hallelujah. What a savior. Why did, all right, so three times Jesus says he will be lifted up. Three times. John 3. He says, the Son of Man is lifted up. And then again in John 12, I believe. So three times in the Gospels, he mentions being lifted up. The interesting thing about that is in the synoptics, Christ predicts three times he's going to die and rise again. Did you catch that? Three times in the synoptics, Matthew and Mark and Luke, Christ predicts his suffering three times. But in John, he doesn't use that. He uses a different way of talking about it. Lifting up of the Son of Man. And at this moment, what, what, do, we, what do we learn? And what, what is the possibility that you, that you have your knowledge? What happened? What opens up here? All of the purposes of the Savior. I am going away. I am sent. I am sent. I have a purpose. I am animated by a purpose. Now, but he's sent specifically to the cross, lifted up the Son of Man. Why? Why was Christ so fascinated? He knows how he's going to die. Why does he have to tell everybody that he's going to die on a cross? Because of Deuteronomy. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. What's the point? Jesus, animated by a desire to please his Father, always, always please the Father, goes to the cross to die for a people who hated him. That they may be not transhumans, but what? A transformed people. Praise him. See, the hopes of transhumanism are are really sincere. They're the real hopes of humanity, that we would be something better. What they have missed is the ancient solution. (laughs) The death and resurrection of the Son of God blood that still covers sinners and removes guilt, removes the distortion, removes the rebellion. (laughs) 
and fills in all the failures. Praise him. So this point here, this, this idea, and I, 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 why is Christ so concerned about his, 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 how it happens is because he has to enter the curse. He has to be the one who is totally cursed even though he's innocent. He has to be the one who, who is punished when, there, when he wasn't to be put to death so that you and I, Joe, you're, that's you. You were you to be punishable by death. You, you, Simon, each one of you was supposed to be punished by death. But what has happened? When you've lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am. You're gonna, and so there's a, there's, a, there's a possibility and a potential here. And I'm with you guys. I am with you. you know, I want you to understand that I'm with you. I come as a beggar to the Savior. I am the sinner. I am the worst of the, of the lot. I come and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in my heart. And that is the answer for you today. If you don't know God today, you have not known him, don't have a relationship with him, that is the, that is the key. If Christ became cursed to please his father so that, because dad was looking at you, Eric, and he's like, I just want him. I love him. And he looks the same thing to you, Grace. What a wonderful Savior. You know, in, in some small way, and I don't really, I don't really understand it. I talk, I'm talking about things. Guys, I'm just a, I don't know anything. I don't know any more than you do. Because right? this stuff beggars my mind. There's no, uh, nobody, has a, nobody has a privileged position of God's love because nobody can get a grasp of it like that. But as I come to this, I, a couple things come to me. One of the things that comes to me is, uh, well, I'm trying to figure out how to say it, how to say it in a way that will, that's, that's just, see, I don't even know how to say it <laughs> in a way that, all right, so let me, let, me, let me see if I can do it this way. One of the things you're being clued into about the Son of Man going to the cross, just as the Father taught me, is you're being clued in to eternal conversations. And this is the truth of the matter. The father says to the son, I want Ben with me in glory. And I want David and Stacy and Frankie and Jenna in glory. What shall we do about this? Well, I can go and die for them. I can take on the punishment. I will go. And the father says, you know, it pleases me so much. I knew that's what you were going to say because I know who you are in your love. And I will send you. We had no right to know that conversation ever happened, do we? But we know now. You see, we've been invited into the courts of eternal love and the conversations that happened before the cosmos began. And it's all love, guys. It's love and forgiveness for sinners. It's transformation and freedom. It's joy and it's power. <laughs> get in and get on it. Drink deep. Something else happens here. And this, and this is the end with this. Because I want to be in this text too. And you know where I want to be? I want to be right here. Uh, all right. I want to be, please the Father. But what I want to do is I want to do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father. Don't you want, you know what it comes out of this text? Peter and I and you and all of us together sharing the gospel next weekend on the Embarcadero. You know why? Because if God's in you, like he was in Christ, you're a talker. And you talk about all the things he taught you to talk about. And you talk about Jesus. <laughs> you talk about everything I was just talking about, about his son. You talk about the about sacrifice for sin. You talk about how you were a sinner and you were freed. And this is not a gospel of sin management. This is what hangs the whole cosmos.
together. <laughs> Don't be deceived. I've come to preach to you an amazing Christ of love. Put all your hope and trust in him. Let's pray. Father, Father, I, I, anything that's said that doesn't work or doesn't help, let it be forgotten. I hate that these things are recorded. Um, <laughs> it always appears to me if I said anything wrong, it's going to last a long time. But you know better than I do, Father. Uh, cleanse my words so that they are effective for new life for my people. I pray for those who are, certain, who are saddled with a load of guilt right now and don't understand why it's not being fixed by you, uh, like somehow fixed and they're just solved. And Father, when we're right in the middle of that, we look again at your love because I want to go where you are. I can't get there myself. I thank you for your sacrifice for me. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would apply it every day of my life more and more. I pray for new, a new repentance and new life in my soul. I come to you, Father, because my ruin is complete and I have no hope anywhere but you. And I'm so sorry anytime I've led these people without only coming and seeking your voice. I praise you eternally that you love me. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen.